We are in a summer series on the Song of Ascents, that's Psalms 120 through 134. And this week we'll be looking at Psalm 126. The Songs of Ascent historically, uh, traditionally are known as the songs that the children of Israel would sing as they were going up to Jerusalem from all over Israel. Probably the exiled uh, remnant of, of Judah and Benjamin who came back after the Babylonian captivity. It's traditionally said that they were the ones who were singing these. And um, Cynthia, if you would come up and read Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Well, now, yeah, please be seated. Now I know why David is so fit. I keep coming up and down these stairs. I'm, I'm actually sweating now. Maybe a little bit of good pulpit uh, anticipation, though, I'm sure. All right. Let me throw that down there. There we go. Um, in the bulletin, there isn't a title. No one called me this week to ask me. David did a couple of weeks ago. He said, what's, it, you know, what's the title going to be for 125? Um, so if you want a title, if you're taking notes, there are, um, in your bulletin, there's a place where you can take notes. It should be a big blank. <laughs> I've been uh, busy uh, this, mo- this week. So a lot of this was prepared yesterday. I've entitled this, Where is All Your Joy? Those of you who are familiar with the Scriptures will know that actually comes from Galatians. In the ESV, it's, instead of the word joy, uh, the writers, the, the translators use the word blessedness. But in some Scripture versions, it's, it's joy. Where is all your joy? Or in terms of this psalm, we could say, where is all your joy and laughter? Where is it? Now that is not meant as a question to, for me to go around and be condemning of anyone. If there's anyone who is condemning and accuses the brethren, and that is our enemy, Satan, the devil, he can use Scripture and whisper it into your heart and even use a Scripture like Galatians 4 15, and use it as an accusation against you. Where is all your joy? And if you are here this morning and you're going through a period in your life where life is hard, life is difficult for both unbeliever and believer to live in a fallen, broken world, is to struggle. So we're not here to condemn anyone, but Paul uses this question as more like an x-ray. He's taking an x-ray of the human heart. He's going, now, 
I don't command joy, and the Bible nowhere ever commands joy or laughter, but it is a consequence of the work of God. It's a consequence of enjoying the grace of God, and of God's closeness, of intimacy, of believing the gospel. And the Galatian believers were in danger of losing the gospel and going back to all the legalistic works of Judaism. And so Paul asked them, where's all your joy? In Christian discipleship, as I've already said, joy and laughter are not commanded. Joy is the second fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5.22. But it is a consequence of God's grace. The Israelites are toiling towards Jerusalem, their goal, and the temple to go worship God there and be close to Him. What will lift their spirits on the journey? It's hard work getting up to Jerusalem. But what will lift their spirits on the journey? And what will lift yours as you struggle, as I struggle with the world, the flesh, and the devil? All of us are exiles from the captivity that we've been in into sin and the world. What hope is there? Psalm 126 is a declaration and a memorial of sudden past grace and a hope in God that sudden grace can restore us or renew us again. That's it in a nutshell. That's what the psalm is about. It's a memorial testimony of what God has done in the past, and whatever God has done in the past, He usually has a habit of repeating in the future, because <laughs> that's what He does. But as we come here this morning, we come to God because we don't have that kind of joy or that laughter. Sometimes we, we leak that grace, don't we? As I was growing up, my dad used to say, son, in his broad Manchester accent, we're all like leaky buckets, you know. I said, dad, what do you mean we're like leaky buckets? Well, some buckets have holes in them. Or if you go to a plant pot, a plant pot will often have a hole in the, in the bottom. Well, that's just like us as human beings. The water or the grace gets poured in, but it leaks out. I'm going to stop being Mancunian. And that's us, isn't it? We leak all the time. We leak whatever God gives to us. And then, as we leak, we seek satisfaction elsewhere in entertainment. There is a vast entertainment industry, is there not, to entertain us and keep us going and keep us joyful and, and pleasured. But it doesn't last very long, does it? Anybody know that by now? We turn to hobbies. We turn to addictions, food, wine, drugs, whatever it is that we go to with our longings and our heart for joy. But it's fleeting joy. And it's a pleasure with very often serious side effects. However, in this psalm, God calls us to center our life on Him and respond to His 
abundance. We often look at God as if he were a meanie. And we could probably have evidence of that because it would appear, because even if you go to the Bible, it seems that there are years and years and years where God is not there. And all of a sudden, bam, he's right there. And the next thing you know, people have forgotten all about the years that they suffered and they're rejoicing and full of joy. That seems to be the testimony of the Bible and I'm sure it's your testimony this morning. Many of us can come to this psalm and already in your mind you're thinking of the vast repertoire and reservoir of times when God has come to you suddenly out of nowhere. You weren't expecting it and you could come up here this morning and you could preach and you could give testimony of all the things that God has done for you. But we quickly forget, don't we? We quickly forget. The center of this psalm is verse 3. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. It's an incredible verse because it is the children of Israel actually singing out what pagans have said. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And the children of Israel shouted, the Lord has done great things for us. Very often, when the Lord does a great work in your life, it's evident by other people looking at it. And they glorify God because they can see that there's something has happened in your life that isn't just fleeting, but is deep, long-lasting, and has changed your very heart and your very character. That is what we're after in this psalm. Verse 3 again says, The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Where does Christian joy come from? Christian joy is found in past remembrance of sudden grace. You might want to write that one down. I'll take my time. I don't know how I did last week. Let me get this watch off. Christian joy is found in past remembrance of sudden grace. The grace that comes like out of nowhere. The context for this psalm, maybe it's Egypt. Remember Egypt? God had prophesied and told Abraham that his children would be taken into slavery and captivity down in Egypt. They were there for over 400 years a long time of suffering and slavery, building all the great, probably, um, pyramids. And then all of a sudden, get your hat and coat, we're leaving. We're going. After all that time, you know, there's several you know, plagues, you know the, the whole story, but it, it, it is as if suddenly after 400 years, within a few days, a few weeks, it's, we're going out of here. God is coming. He's coming to your rescue. He always said He would. And all of a sudden, grace happens quickly, suddenly, and brusquely. And before you know where you are, you're going through a river. It opens up. It swallows up all your enemies. And you're on the other side. And you're shouting for joy in Miriam's song. Oh, praise the Lord. 
And yet, if you were to come as an unbeliever and you were to say to them, why are you praising God? You've been in slavery for 450 years. What the heck? And they would say to you, yeah, but now we're not. God has acted. Isn't that great? Because that's what God does. His grace comes. Weeping just lasts for a night. But joy comes in the morning. Is it David and Absalom? David went into exile, did he not? It was his kingdom. He was the great king, the man after God's own heart. But because of sin in the first family, Amnon had slept with his half-sister, Tamar. Absalom was the full brother of Tamar, and he exacted revenge, not only on a silent dad who had conceived a baby, Solomon, with Bathsheba and committed adultery and murder. But Absalom, seeing all this and seeing the silence of the father, the sin ricocheted through the first family. And Absalom promised revenge. And he did. He wooed the hearts of the children of Israel and finally took over the kingdom and exiled and banished his own father. And exile. Is that the context for this? And later in life when... David is restored to the kingdom. He praises God. In Psalm, in 2 Samuel 22, he just worships the Lord and has great confidence in the miracles of God. That again, sudden grace. Is it Babylon and the Babylonian exile where God was disciplining his people? He married them at Mount Sinai and called them to be his people and he covenanted with them. But in Jerusalem, he finally said to them, you have not kept your side of the covenant and I will discipline you. You know if you've read the Old Testament, the undulating up and down nature of the children of Israel. There is joy in Isaiah 40, 1 through 2. Comfort. Comfort ye, my people, says your God, for I've seen your sin and I've forgiven it. And the comfort and the joy of the Lord comes to God's people. Maybe it is that that they're saying, the exiles have returned. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who had, it says, who were in a dream, but someone interpreted this and said it's more like we were restored to our health. We were restored to our former place as the children of God. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The children of Israel taken away into captivity in Babylon, but they were restored after 70 years and given back their land. And they were going, in England we call it gobsmacked. They were gobsmacked. But their hearts were filled with joy. Who would have believed it? We're out of our minds with laughter and joy that we would come back and be able to restore Zion. First of all in Nehemiah, if you read Nehemiah, they restored the walls. Then they rebuilt the temple and were able to worship God again. Incredible, sudden grace. As I've already said, surely we all have a vast 
treasury of memorials to God's grace and miracles in our lives. Do you? Because I'm preaching, I get to use the microphone. So I get to tell you just a little bit about my own life. 1986, I've probably said this before. If you preach here a few times, you begin to forget what you've actually said. <laughs> Even the examples, I was looking at my examples this morning, I, go, I think I've used that before. I don't know. 1986, Wednesday night. I can actually see myself there. And I think this is what is happening in the psalm. The children of Israel can see themselves at a certain time and place rejoicing and enjoying God's grace. There I am kneeling by my bedside at my sister's house, looking out the window. And I'd been praying for several months, doing this sowing in tears. I had been sowing in tears, repenting, calling upon the name of the Lord. And that night, as I went home, I knew something could happen. And I went straight upstairs, said hi to my sister, went straight upstairs, went into my bedroom, closed the door, and within half an hour, I was praising the Lord. And I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'll never forget looking out the window and my sister's boyfriend running out the house. Because as you can tell, I'm loud. I don't need a microphone. So loud, I raised the roof with joy and with laughter. And I'll never forget what was going on within my heart. It was like Jesus was in my heart with a little scrubbing brush. That's what I actually imagined. It was as if it was yesterday, this scrubbing brush. And he was banging on my heart and all the dirt was falling off of it. And he was opening up, I call it, I had a heart like a prune. Like a little shriveled up prune. And as he brought life, as he brought power... As I spoke in tongues, yes, a Presbyterian does do that. Yes. Discreetly. <laughs> My heart enlarged, and I'll never forget these words that came into my heart. I cannot believe that it's happened to me. At long last, it wasn't reading somebody else's testimony. It was me. He was here. He was right in my room. He was coming into my own heart. It's happening to me. And I didn't have to depend on anybody else's testimony. I had my own testimony. And I worshipped and praised God right there. And then I went and ruined it all. I've never changed, really. Because then I left. I remembered my one of my best friends growing up in the Church of England, he was having a, a Bible study that night, and I decided to go. That was a big mistake. Well, kind of. Because when you have joy in your heart, you can't help but want to share it. When the Lord has changed you, you want to tell other people, and I couldn't wait to go see my friend David and to tell him, look at what the Lord has done for me. Do you have a witness and a testimony like that? Do you have a memorial? There's a very, very famous memorial. This is one of the most famous ones that I know of. It was by Blaise Pascal. I met Tracy, my wife, in France. Soon after I became a Christian, 
Uh, so many things were happening in my life. There was a lot of confusion as I learned the doctrines of grace and the doctrines of the Reformation. And I had this charismatic experience and I was going, oh my gosh, this is crazy. So what I did, I left England. I went to France. I need a break. I don't want to understand anybody around me. I just want to read the scriptures, get a job. I knew some folks over there. And before I knew where I was, I was beginning to see that the French really didn't understand evangelical Christianity. They were brought up on uh, evidence, science. You can't believe anything unless it can be proven by the scientific method. And I used to like knock my head out trying to explain to them in my pidgin French at the time you know, what it was that I, I was and, and what my experience was, why I was a Christian, until I came across this. A Frenchman who had had an incredible work of the Spirit of God, a conversion. When he died, what they found in his clothes was his, they call it the memorial. He had two pieces of paper. One was the original on the night that it took place, and another was a copy that he had copied out but added just a couple of things. And they were both found sewn over his heart. It meant so much to him that he had experienced God and God's grace, that he kept two copies of it in his clothes. And after every time he changed his clothes, he would take the copies out and put it in his new set of clothes. This is what he said. The year of grace, 1654. Monday, the 23rd of November. Now remember, he was from a Catholic background. Feast of St. Clement, Pope and Martyr, and others in the martyrology. Vigil of St. Chrysogonus, Martyr and others. From about half past ten at night until about half past midnight. Fire. Now this is a scientist. Blas Pascal was the inventor of the first calculating machine. He was brilliant. Metaphysicist, metaphysicist mathematician, philosopher in the age of reason, and he was saying that there's something more than reason. There's, a new, there's another way of knowing, and it isn't just through our minds. It is through the heart. It is through God communicating Himself and His power to you directly. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. And you can imagine him riding there as he's experiencing the Holy Spirit come upon him. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy. The presence of God, the consequence of it, the first thing he writes is joy. Peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God, your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And then he says this, he repeats it. Joy, joy, joy. Tears of joy. Can you imagine one of the most brilliant men in all of Europe is crying tears of joy as the Holy Spirit, as God communicates Himself to His soul. That is normal in the Christian life. 
He then thinks, I've departed from him. They have forsaken me, the fount of living water. My God, will you leave me? Let me not be separated from him forever. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and the one that you sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He just keeps repeating it. I left him. I fled him, renounced, crucified him. Let me never be separated from him. He is only kept securely by the ways taught in the gospel. Renunciation, total and sweet. <laughs> he gives his life completely over to God. Complete submission to Jesus Christ and to my spiritual director. Eternally enjoy for a day's exercise on the earth. What is he thinking about? He's thinking philosophically. Maybe I'll get, he died when he was really young, 39. He was very, very sickly. But for this short span of earth and suffering and pain, I get this eternity of joy. Doesn't seem fair, does it? May I not forget your words. Do you have a testimony like that? It's descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It describes what the Holy Spirit can do. It doesn't prescribe what He has to do with you. But somewhere along the line, C.S. Lewis called it in one of his books, didn't he? Surprised by joy. And they say that he was on the top of a double-decker bus. And all of a sudden, boom, God was there, right there. And he says, and I was surprised by joy. That is our first point. Christian joy is found in past remembrance of sudden grace. And you remember it. You put it into John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress. He used to call it, I don't know whether you've read any of these books. I'm getting old now. But John Bunyan wrote this book about the Christian pilgrimage, and he, and he says that a Christian has in his bosom a testimony, a memorial of that day when he was converted. And when he's in trouble, he can always bring it out and point to it. Yes, I know God is for me because I've received grace right then and there, and I can be assured that I can still receive grace now. And that's where we go next. Christian joy is found in future expectation of sudden grace. They're singing this song. The feeling and the emotions are flowing as they're remembering where they're going, as they're going up to Jerusalem. And their, their hearts are fortified. And they say, Restore our fortunes, O Lord. How? like streams in the Negev. Restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. In the very south of, of Israel, just under Jerusalem, there is a, a desert. And if you go to a desert, you'll often see ravines and little pathways that are cut by sudden flash floods. Rain comes suddenly in the desert. I can remember spending some time in South Africa in 1986, and I did a whole tour of South Africa. I went from 
uh, Johannesburg to Pretoria, then out west to Namibia, then came down through a desert that only rains certain times of the year, and people go there to see the rains because within a couple of days, the whole place is just awash with flowers that you would never think could be there. And the ravines are flowing with, with rivers, and sudden water is there. And what they're saying is, just as suddenly as all of these dried up ravines can suddenly be filled with rain and water and flowers. Lord, will you come just like you did as you brought us back from Israel, just like you did when you first saved us. Lord, will you give me grace again? I need your grace. I don't need it just one time. I need it over and over and over. Which is why Paul can say at the end, near the end of his life, to his right-hand man, Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying of all the things that he could have said to Timothy. What did he say? Timothy, you need to be filled with the Spirit. No, Timothy, you need to be speaking in tongues. Timothy, you need this. Timothy, you need that. No, he said, this is a faithful and trustworthy saying that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I'm the worst one. Because the longer he had gone in his journey of discipleship, the more he had seen the depths of depravity within his own heart. And I don't think he was seeing that in terms of active sin and acting out. He saw it I probably in disobedience to the commands of God in terms of the gospel. I've never known myself to be a sinner as much as I have. I told you last week, it was when I became a pastor, of all the things that you leave undone. All the things that you're called to teach elders, instruct deacons, pastors, shepherd, all of these activities. And very often you go, Lord, without your grace, I'll never be able to do any of it. And isn't this a good time to be able to say, we should be praying for our pastor? It is a hard task to pastor a people, and especially in a racial cross, class cross culture across social economic lines that's a difficult task and we pray right now that he is enjoying some rest i hope you're praying for him like streams in the negev expectation of grace like a flood i have been saved and received grace and i have the full expectation Christian joy is found in expectation of future grace. There they are on their way up to Jerusalem. What were they expecting? A scorpion? A stone? A knock on the head? No. They were expecting more grace. And lastly, Christian joy is found in present obedience to God's work. Where do I get that from? Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. And those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. What is that other than hard work and sacrifice? Do you cry? Do you pray? I sat at a table on Friday at Columbia Prison. And I had a wonderful conversation with this lady that works in classification. We were signing forms, which seems to be the habit in prison. And she was a believer, and we started to talk 
about the Lord and about our experiences. And I told her when I was at FSP, some days I could come home, and I did very often, just sit at the table and weep. Some of us, I think, need an experience of going in and seeing how other people are living. You wouldn't be quite quick to complain and moan about your situation never being enough. But Christian joy is found in the expectation, sorry, the present obedience to God's work. God's work is both weeping and sowing and harvesting. Do you sow in tears? As I was walking this morning and thinking, when was the last time that I really prayed with tears for someone who is lost? Whether it be on my street, whether it be a family member, whether it was someone who was part of the congregation, whether it was someone part of the Lackawanna community. But I believe this is a call to evangelism, a call to the work of God. You can't have joy if you're frittering away your life with all the, the frivolous things of the world, but rather engaging in God's work in this church and in other churches in, this, in, in Jacksonville or in the world. Are you sowing seeds of tears, whether you're weeping and mourning Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus says, who can not only see their own sin, but see the sins of others. You've only got to just look at the newspapers to listen to Donald Trump and the words that sometimes come out of his mouth and everybody else, because he's not the only one, to know that our country is in desperate situation. It has left the living God. Some people would say, Mr. Jones, who said it ever had it in the beginning? Of all things that we need this morning, it's right here in this psalm. Oh Lord, come and restore us again. But before you restore the country, restore God's people. Restore us to worship. Joy is not found in relief from work, but engaging in the work of God. Engaging in praying for others and seeing that they are absolutely helpless. And you know that they're absolutely helpless because you know that you're absolutely helpless. So you pray for them, hopefully what you've been praying for yourself as you wept over your own sins. Joy involves suffering and pain and not apart from it. This is not pie in the sky when you die. This is joy and pain together. And my friends, you will not be able to live this way. This is not a condemnation. Please trust me. I'm preaching to myself as much as I am to you. Until we see Jesus doing here on our behalf what he's asking, what the psalmist is actually asking us to do on others' behalf, we'll never do it. Have you ever thought that in the, the last, the day before Jesus was crucified, in that night, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus came and he flung himself on the floor and he begged his Father, would there be any possible way that this cup would pass from me? And his concern was so great as to what was going to happen. He was going to face death, the Son of God. 
was going to face death. But the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, they said he sweat blood. He cried tears. And he was willing to do it. And he joyfully did it on your behalf. Until you can see Jesus doing that for you and on your behalf, you will never ever do it for anybody else. Because you needed someone to sow tears for you. And to go to the cross in a sacrifice for you. So that you could respond and go, thank you. You filled my life with joy. You've helped me escape from death, from the penalty of sin. Just like Augustus' top lady says in Rock of Ages, you have helped me escape not only from the guilt due to sin, but from the power of sin. And you have given me joy and laughter. Again, I say, until we see Him doing that for us, We'll never do it for anybody else. It's when you see your own need that you will be able to go weeping, sowing the seed, and then you'll come home. Shouting. Shouts of joy. That is what we need. Not made up, not faked up, not a few songs, not more time on the internet, not more time on games, not more time for me looking at motorbikes, which is my habit. (laughs) But joy that comes from having spent time with God and being renewed day by day. I don't know about you, I remember a man called Cliff Bedell. Cliff Bedell was a professor at Columbia Bible College. And he said one day, just before the class, he said, I don't have quiet times anymore. And we all went, okay, that's unique. We're always being asked to have quiet times here at Columbia Bible College. He then went on to say, they're not quiet times. The older I get, the more students I teach, the closer I I get to heaven. They're DTs, not QTs. And then I'll never forget, he leaned forward and he went, they're desperate times. They're desperate times. I need God more now as an aging professor than ever I needed him in my life. And that's what we need. We can't rest on our laurels here. We need to be sowing these seeds of tears and we shall reap a harvest in God's good time. Who knows when he will come because he comes suddenly, doesn't he? He comes when he wants to. He is sovereign. The wind blows where it will. and We trust that we will be found awaiting God's time, doing what we should be doing responding to his love and his grace in the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, this psalm is true of Jesus like all the psalms. 
before, it's true of us. It's true of Him first that He was the one who wept and sowed the seed, His own blood upon the ground, and He reaped a harvest, and that's us. And Lord, we pray this morning that as we have faith, knowing that that's what it took for us, Lord, help us to follow Him in faith so that we would see a harvest in our own families, in our co-workers, in this community. Lord, we pray that Your grace would go deeper and deeper in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.